Welcome to the five things this week in social. We're the podcast that looks high and low for the latest and greatest in social and digital. We narrow it all down to five topics so you can make educated decisions on the social platforms you use every day for work or fun. If you're a marketing professional, a content creator, or anyone whose job it is to use social tools, then this is the podcast for you. On the show today, we welcome back to the pod our friends Jess Womack and Daniel Avon. Hello, Jess. Hey, Joey. How are you? I have a very important question for you. Yeah, what's up? It's a little bit of a left turn from the questions I usually ask, but I need to know, is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, boy. This question has destroyed many friendships. I will say a hot dog is not a sandwich. Okay. Thank you for that feedback. Now, Daniel, hello, sir. Hello, Joey. If a hot dog is not a sandwich, per Jess, is a hot dog a taco? I can't give you a definitive answer. This has kind of stumped me (laughs) because it's an existential question at play here. Is what defines a sandwich bread or is what defines a taco the fact that it's connected on the bottom? So I think it's the bread that drives the decision, in my opinion. However, technically speaking, yes, a hot dog is a taco. These are all the deep thoughts you get here on The Five Things. I'm Joey Scarillo, and now I'm just hungry. Okay, on to The Five Things for the day. Jess lays down the facts on LinkedIn launching collaborative articles powered by, you guessed it, AI. Then Daniel breaks down a big update from hashtag TikTok made me buy it to hashtag de-influencing and TikTok's long-form paywalled content. It's a lot. Then Jess talks about Reddit testing a TikTok-like feature aimed to declutter and enhance the discovery experience. Daniel gets into esports and their response to the newly announced Olympic esports series. And lastly, Jess talks about how Spotify and SoundCloud are going into vertical discovery feeds a la, you guessed it, TikTok. All right, friends. Well, you guessed it. It's time for the five things. Here we go. Jess, lead us off with LinkedIn. Yes, starting with LinkedIn. LinkedIn has announced that it will begin using AI to expand on its content, beginning with a new initiative called Collaborative Articles, in which AI will generate some sort of conversation or will generate some sort of topic or prompt, and then it will call on specific users for their expertise and input. Then people who contribute are rewarded for giving their time and their experience as they're able to earn a community top voice badge in their skill area. So imagine a person contributes to this AI-generated topic, sharing their experience for other people on LinkedIn to see. They are then rewarded with something like a top sales voice badge on their profile for adding their insights to sort of the thread that, that starts. This is just one of many topics that we're going to talk today about AI and the influence of TikTok across platforms. But I think that this is going to be a super hit or miss feature for the platform. I think it's either going to get people really excited about contributing conversations with folks they don't know, or it's going to be revolutionary in terms of virtual networking and meeting people within or outside your industry. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. That's the TLDR. Okay, so this sounds like a bit of a lighter approach to AI. So I'm curious, Daniel, do you think LinkedIn is going down the right path here, having it be a bit less in-your-face AI like some of the other platforms? Or do you think that other platforms should maybe follow suit? So I think it's a smart move 
and an easy move for them to take on as a lot of the prompts that they have been working with have kind of laid the groundwork for this like updated feature. I'm not sure if it needs to be like such a radical change just because adoption requires some or adoption of a new technology requires some familiarity and some novel benefit to it. Not only that it kind of eases people into conversations, but that there's some sort of incentive in the badge-like thing is a good one-two punch for getting people to actually lean in and use this. Imagine, Joey, you're a podcasting expert. There's an article about podcasting and it says, we could use your expertise here, insert prompt. Your ego is going to be stroked a little bit and you're like, all right, sure, yeah, I'll write in on this. And then you get a little badge that says, I'm the podcasting expert. I don't think it's such a bad idea. And I do envision like some people maybe competing a little bit for badges and keeping the badges because they expire after 60 days. Yeah, there will definitely be some clout associated with those badges if all goes in LinkedIn's favor. I also think it's interesting too, right? LinkedIn, of course, is owned by Microsoft and we've seen other big companies like Meta and Google get into this space. So it is interesting to see that this could be Microsoft's way in. All right, let's get into this big update, Daniel. Tell us about hashtag TikTok made me buy it. What is de-influencing and why the long form paywalled content from TikTok? I will try to answer why by starting with what is happening. So we've got two big trending things on TikTok this week. One is coming from users and one is being pushed by TikTok, but it will potentially materially change the way that users engage with creators and their content. So let me start first with this new hashtag that as of last night when I checked was with 325 million views. So like some of the articles that we read, it was 100, it was 200, it keeps climbing. And that hashtag is de-influencing. You heard that right. No longer are we trying to influence, we're trying to de-influence, but not exactly that. So it's a bit in response to TikTok made me buy it. Influencer as celebrity, diminishing spending power given the economy and a need for products that consumers buy to deliver upon the expectations that creators and individuals who talk about them set. The hashtag de-influencing signals videos, and this is focusing mostly on cosmetic and beauty products that seek to tell the truth, not just promote, and may actually tell consumers, users, viewers what not to buy and possibly to buy a more affordable dupe instead of just sponsored products or products that TikTokers have propelled to success. This trend is being led by beauty gurus, aestheticians, and dermatologists alike. It doesn't seem like it's the tried and true beauty influencers that are participating in this conversation, but it does seem to continue the conversation we had last week about Selena and Hailey Bieber. A little bit, apologies to plug that again, but this desire and seeking greater authenticity and trust on social and beyond, just as Selena lays bare what she's going through, de-influencing aims to draw the truth out of influencers or creators for how products actually worked for them, which asks a lot of the product's ability to deliver. So if you're going to ask an influencer to use your product, you need to make sure that your product delivers on what you say it does and what they say it does. As well, influencers are being put in an interesting position to stay honest and open with followers and be selective of the brands that they decide to work with. This is not an all-in trend. TikTok maybe buy it is still a big thing, but it does seem to be a groundswell of where influencing may go 
going forward. Speaking of engaging with influencers from a TikTok side of things, they have announced a new feature, which is called Series. It aims to compete with Patreon and OnlyFans and other subscription-based creator models, but it is PG. So same same guidelines apply for content there as it would on the open platform. It's currently in trial for certain creators, but it will enable creators to set a price from $1 to $190 for exclusive content, up to 80 videos that are up to 20 minutes in length. A lot of like specifications on what it is right now. Curious to see if they expand upon that. But um, one thing that they're also talking about is the cut that TikTok will take from this, about 30% to host the videos and all of those types of things, probably comparable to what we're seeing for these other services. This is yet another monetization move on TikTok's part. They had, I believe it was called the Creator Fund and a few other ways at getting smaller and bigger creators, ways to monetize on platform. But it's interesting to see that they're taking on subscription as opposed to like ad revenue generated monetization methods. And by doing so, not just taking on other social and search platforms as they currently are, but taking on those subscription sites as competitors. But we actually have seen Google and YouTube have an ad revenue sharing creator monetization model that may be pressuring TikTok to come up with other means by which to monetize for creators on platform. Both of these stories that we talk about, de-influencing and series, will change, at least for the moment, the ways in which followers and creators can and will interact. But it's going to be interesting to see which of these trends prevails. Personally, I think my money is on de-influencing and more authenticity and truth in social and influencing, but only time will tell. We talk about authenticity all the time. It is something that consumers want. It's something that our clients want to see, something that we want to put out in the world here at Gray. And so I'm curious, Jess, from your point of view, specifically around the de-influencing hashtag, what are some of the major watch out for brands when it comes to this space of de-influencing? Some major watch outs for brands when it comes to de-influencing has to be how they are interacting with in best and worst case scenarios. I think that there is a lot of candid conversations that happen in the realm of de-influencing in which folks are talking about how something just wasn't made for certain skin tones or talking about how things just weren't made for certain hair types. And there presents both an opportunity, but also a risk in getting involved in those conversations if the brand isn't prepared to adequately have them. For instance, if you're talking about how something just like wasn't made for your hair type, or if you step into, I think the thing is, is a lot of this revolves around beauty and beauty has notoriously been like a really loaded space for like heavy cultural conversations. And a lot of times I would imagine that brands that play in the realm of beauty have less experience and talking about sort of the cultural side of it. So I think a major implication here is there needs to be a lot more preparation in terms of how they're engaging in comments, how they're engaging in their own content, just because there needs to be a little bit more nuance involved because these are authentic conversations that are being had from like a really real personal space as opposed to something that's operating at a more higher level, kind of more frivolous space. That's great insight and hopefully brands will listen to that feedback and not find themselves in hot water when it comes to what consumers are looking for, specifically on TikTok and other platforms. All right, let's talk about another platform. Let's get into Reddit, who announced the testing of a TikTok-like feature aimed to declutter and enhance the discovery experience. Jess, 
What does it all mean? Yeah, um, a couple days ago, uh, Reddit announced updates to its platform, including the test of a TikTok-like feature that separates text and video content into individual feeds. So there will be a read and then a watch uh, split view feed that allows users to switch from browsing text-based posts to videos depending on their mood. The new feeds are currently being tested and they're going to roll out in a few upcoming weeks. But a big part of the test will include finding out whether users enjoy being able to simplify their discovery process and their discovery experience in which they can choose sort of what they actually want to see versus coming across something more organic that has happened in the past. The company has also confirmed that they are exploring the idea of bringing more user-generated video content to its online discussion forums, as well as a feature that will allow users to react to other videos. All in all, they're adding more videos. They're going to make it easier for you to explore what's on the site and explore areas of Reddit that you may not have previously looked into. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how their user base reacts to it. I'm surprised by this a little bit and I'm not surprised in other ways. But Daniel, I'm curious from your point of view, do you feel like Reddit is now just splitting off into TikTok and Twitter? Is it still Reddit? That was my initial thought. Like they're essentially changing the interface to be two sides of the spectrum of like a text-led environment versus a video-led environment. Like a few things that are kind of interesting to me about this is I have always kind of loved Reddit because it has always felt very old internet. The aesthetic was always kind of off, but like in the best way possible. And it was easy enough to use, but there were some things that were a little clunky. It seems like they're trying to streamline the future is video and they're sort of taking that, internalizing that. But what's kind of odd about, particularly about the user created video side of things, Reddit is an anonymous platform. It has always been super, super anonymous. I can't imagine that it's going to become a TikTok-like thing where people are speaking straight to cam or whatever the case may be. So I'm curious to see like how that feature is leveraged and if the video side of things is just going to be like a better way of engaging with video on the platform. Because I remember before Reddit had their own like hosted video, it was kind of impossible. You had to link out. It was a little bit of a mess. So I'm a fan of them making video live on their platform a little bit better. But I'm I don't know if it's going to be used in the way that it sounds like it's intended to be used currently. You know, we talk a lot about authenticity. And again, I feel like just what you said, Daniel, the authenticity lies in these posts being anonymous. Jess, do you feel like Reddit's like gone off course here? Or do you think this is maybe the best direction? I think that they have definitely gone on off course with the user generated content, just because I think of being anonymous when I think of being on Reddit, akin to I think of being short and and brief when I think of being on Twitter, akin to how I think of being pretty and aesthetically pleasing when I'm on Instagram. Like that is the soul of all of these platforms. And so while I, I think I will say on the flip side, I am really interested in how they're expanding on the discovery situation and the discovery experience because the whole concept of having like the two split screen, whether you want to read or watch, that part is really interesting also too, because I think it's really easy for people to go back to the 
same spaces on Reddit that they always are, as opposed to more organically being able to venture out and experience like new parts of the community that they may not have had access to. I'm of both minds, but I I think it's going to be really entertaining to see how people respond to it because they're going to roll it out no matter what, right? And so the question is, is what are people going to do with the thing? And I think of all of the platforms I personally feel like Reddit users are the most unhinged and kind of chaotic. So it's going to be the most interesting to see what they do with this thing, whether or not they use it, how it was designed. We are here for the chaos. All right, we will talk more about platforms turning into TikTok later. But for now, Daniel, tell us about esports industry's response to the newly announced Olympic esports series. Can't believe I'm saying those words. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And kind of in in conversation with what we're saying about the fans or the users of a platform will let you know how they feel. So I'm going to talk kind of objectively at a high level about what is happening in the Olympics with esports, and then we can kind of talk about the opinions that are going around. So if you haven't heard, the Olympics has announced the first worldwide esports competition that it is in charge of. It's called the Olympic Esports Series. It is not the actual Olympic Games. It's not a feeder into the Olympic Games at this current moment. However, it is the organization's first acknowledgement and introduction of esports into the walls of what the Olympics deems worthy games to be observed and within their purview. So a few things to know about this event. There are qualifiers currently happening, but the finals will take place in Singapore in 2023 in June. It will feature nine games, a lot of which you probably have never heard of. Tic Tac Bow, an archery game. WBSC, an e-baseball game. Zwift, a virtual cycling game. Just Dance, it is what it is. Gran Turismo, which is a driving game. Virtual Regatta virtual taekwondo, tennis clash, and chess. It will be sponsored by many existing official sponsors of the Olympics like Airbnb, Panasonic, Visa, and Omega as the official timekeeper. So if you are a gamer, you've probably not heard of a lot of these games. And that is a big part of the criticism that's coming particularly from Western gamers about the games that are chosen, the platforms in which they're played, and so forth, because a few of them are actually just mobile games. And if you're a true gamer, you may think, If it's not on console or if it's not on PC, what are we doing? To be fair, professional esports tends to call to mind League of Legends, Overwatch, games like that that are either collaborative or fighting and so forth. But the International Olympics Committee has offered some rationale as to why they've chosen the games that they have chosen. They wanted them to align to the Olympics values of no violence. So any fighting games not allowed to be in the picture. They have a mantra at the Olympics, peace through sport. So if you are fighting against each other, even though I guess you could debate boxing might be that, but in any event... Um, inclusivity, and even gender split of players. So they really sought and looked through developers to make sure that these games were equally appealing with women and men. And then limited technical barriers to entry, among others. So the fact that there are mobile games, because in a lot of countries, a lot of markets, it's too expensive to get a console or a PC. And a mobile game is what they have access to. Um, It offers an interesting opportunity for brands in the broader e-gaming space that as it currently stands, is much more developed in the fighting, more violent games. The games selected truly are a virtual version of existing sports or athletic pursuits, if you think about it. So we talked about archery, baseball, cycling, dancing, Formula One or 
a racetrack driving, a regatta, taekwondo, tennis, and chess. Those are all like understood as kind of athletic pursuits. The games mimic those in the virtual world. But because the walls of like traditional professional esports are kind of defined, there's an expensive barrier to entry and all of that type of stuff. It may offer brand safe environments and environments that are not super saturated with brands to sponsor these competitions, to get involved with teams and so forth. And it also offers an opportunity for official partners of the Olympics to further leverage the spend that they have with the Olympics within this new terrain. Uh, it was mentioned in one of the articles I read that Omega, as an official timekeeper, would not necessarily be associated with esports and timekeeping would not necessarily be something associated with esports as such. So it offers a novel opportunity for these types of brands that may not have considered this in the past to get involved. So much to break down there. But real quick, little personal story. The other day I drove past a school that had a sign that said esports tournament this weekend. And it really got me thinking about how big and how far esports has grown. And we've seen that throughout the last, I don't know, number of years. So, of course, when the IOC steps up, they're not going to make everybody happy. But I do think this is a big step for legitimacy for the esports, which is awesome. Jess, in your opinion, what do you think the IOC can do to appeal to more gamers, to the diehard fans who you know play these esports games? Oh, man, Joey, that is not a question I would rely on myself to answer well, just because I am not a gamer. But given what I know about institutions that are so big and so traditional in the way that the IOC is, is my biggest recommendation would be to talk to the gamers first, as opposed to trying to make a space fit them, building a space that's like inherent and made for them. And I think that there is going to be a lot of kind of ageist conversations that start to happen in the vein of people not taking esports seriously often comes with people also not taking young people very seriously. And I think that that is needs to not only does it need to change, but it's going to have to because, you know, esports, although the biggest players are often young, the fan base often is not. You know, we keep saying as advertisers, we keep reminding people that millennials are not teenagers anymore and neither are the fan base of a lot of these esports. So that's something that needs to be taken seriously, recognized and also treated with the same way that they would treat any other um, IOC space. So much to unpack there. This is very interesting. Very cool, to be quite honest. Super um, cool. But let's get back on TikTok features. And now let's talk about how TikTok is influencing the music we listen to on Spotify and SoundCloud and how they are moving into a TikTok-like space. Jess, what's it all mean? So by the time this airs, some of you will have already been confronted or accosted or welcomed, depending on whatever verb you want to use, into the new Spotify makeover. As of right now, as of this recording moment, it has not been released, but it is bound to for at least bigger, for bigger markets very soon. And if you haven't heard, essentially, they are unveiling a redesign that has been described by some outlets as part TikTok, part Instagram, and part YouTube. Users are going to be able to 
vertically scroll through short clips of new music, pod and podcasts as well, in addition to artist-based content. When I first heard of this, I thought that it was just going to be some sort of like add-on feature, or I thought that it was going to be a separate tab that I would click into. But it's actually replacing the whole homepage for Spotify's mobile app, replacing its current layout of existing carousels of music. And instead, with this vertical feed that we had talked about, it's really an evolution of a test that was tested earlier or later last year and was officially expanded to more users in April of last year. But the whole point is that they are demonstrating a desire to change the way that folks discover music by having this sort of TikTok-like for you feed. There's a really interesting conversation that got brought up by journalist Stuart Dredge in which he kind of coined it very different from how you would talk about. I think it's going to be easy for a lot of folks like us to just kind of simplify it down to saying that they're copying TikTok. But that's actually not true. And there is a conversation that was started by that journalist, Stuart Dredge, in which he's talking about the difference between a discovery feed and a consumption feed. Whereas for TikTok, the feed is the experience. Like that is the thing that you go to experience is staying on this feed and being fed stuff from the algorithm and from the AI that you're really excited to see that you aren't expecting. This is more explicitly a discovery feed because the goal is to get you out of the feed and into the music. They want you to click on the links that they're sending to you. They want you to click on the artist videos that you're seeing or the podcast and go and experience that as opposed to staying in this sort of scrolling behavior that TikTok thrives on and wants you to be a part of. So it truly is much more of a discovery experience than a consumption experience in the way that you kind of more mindlessly work in the realm of TikTok. There's also something really interesting here for folks like us that work on the brand side in that this sort of two-sided marketplace strategy that exists in which there is the first consumer that is the person who is listening to the music. But then there's also the second side of it in which they're building tools that artists and labels can also podcasters like us can use to promote themselves. So it'll be really interesting because Spotify, especially the premium version, has long been kind of devoid of a brand experience. Like you are not getting a ton of ads. You're not seeing visually a ton of ads unless you're in a space that's sort of sponsored like a podcast. But I think there's going to be something interesting that there's going to be a lot more opportunity for that to happen, especially if you think about clothes. If there's a video of, you know, your favorite artist and they're wearing like a Nike hat, there's something really interesting there in that. Like, I think that there is a lot more opportunity for brands to show up in this newly redone Spotify that may be great, may not be. But I do think that the end game is that there will be a lot more organic music discovery happening. So that's story one. Story two is that SoundCloud is also unveiling a AI-based vertical feed feature on their platform as well for both mobile and desktop, in which folks are far less likely to just kind of go on SoundCloud and then go on to the artist pages that they typically follow because they're going to be fed in a feed of new sounds that will be prompted and also explained. So You'll basically get fed a feed of different mixtapes to listen to, different artists to listen to, different clips that you can engage with. And there'll be a prompt on the bottom that says, because you listen to XYZ, that is why you're getting this. That I think is really interesting. So 
it's yet to be identified whether that this is going to be a discovery feed or a consumption feed. If it stays true to the heart of SoundCloud, I think it's probably going to follow like a true discovery feed in the way that Spotify is also intending. But we'll see. Very interesting indeed, especially this idea of discovery versus consumption. I actually kind of like that Spotify is playing in that space and not trying to just keep you to endlessly scrolling. Daniel, just out of curiosity, what excites you about this update? So I think it's continuing a lot of what I love about Spotify uh, in particular, but also SoundCloud. It could be good for, for that in that they're recommending discovery of new artists and giving you different ways to find them. It used to be... <laughs> Way, way back in the day, if it wasn't on the Billboard 100 or whatever it was, you didn't know it existed or it just exists in these very, very small pockets of the world. These discoverability features, while it is feeling, especially with the video-led products, they're leaning into the more traditional labels, bigger artists and so forth. It is giving many other ways for artists to be discovered and for artists to be discovered and for listeners to, you know, kind of broaden their perspective on the type of people that they're listening to from either a music or podcast standpoint. And it's interesting as well, just we've done some research, Justin actually I think have worked on a few projects related to music where it's talked about how your music tastes and the artists that you like are defined by a certain age. I'm curious if these new discoverability features are actually going to push that age a little bit further out and leave people a little bit more open to what type of music um, is is new and emerging and hopefully leave people a little bit more open-minded to many other different things. But that's, that's an aside. Um, but all to say, I'm excited that this is just giving one more way to leverage the algorithmic power of both platforms to help people find new music and give artists the opportunity to be found. Well, if I start dressing like the artists on Spotify, you'll know why. And if you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to talk about. And you can do all of that by emailing us at podcast at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel today, Daniel and Jess. And as always, thanks to Samantha Geller, Amanda Fuentes, and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. This week... We are launching season four of our Webby award-winning podcast, Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas. Host Jason Connor and our colleagues from Gray dive into the creative process by talking to founders, creators, inventors, and explore what led them to their ideas. You can follow and listen to that show wherever you are listening to this show. That's it for us this week. Thank you, listener. And please, as always, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller, mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin, with post-production support from Ned Martin, additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.